I want to greet all of you in Jesus' name this evening. It's kind of special to be back. If I counted right on my calendar, was away five out of the last eight weeks. And of the three weeks I was home, I was sick with the flu on my back for a week and a cold for half a week and <clears throat> feel a little bit like my head's spinning. But I'm not sure of much, but I'm sure it's good to be back and I'm sure that being away is good to make me appreciate what's here. Family and church people and everything thought about some things that were kind of unsettling in Ohio at Salem Amish Mennonite. There were two things kind of unsettling and one thing I appreciated. Um, one thing that was unsettling is I walked in there the first night and, well, they had the sisters on this side, the brothers on this side. And, well, you would think, just get over it, but that just troubled me all week. Spent the whole week getting used to kind of which way am I directed and facing and just threw me off. Well, by the end of the week, I was used to it, and well, now y'all are sitting on the wrong side. Got to get used to it again. Uh, something else I like better here is they only sing two songs at a time. And uh, there's something about three that just works for me, maybe just because I'm used to it. But um, the one thing there that they have better than we have is they have a better pulpit. And it's wider, and I don't end up with my notes perched and trying to hold everything together, and it's falling off. And, and they also have a big old barrier here. It's about eight inches high all the way around. And I looked at that and thought about it and thought, I could probably bring, bring a Rubik's Cube or a uh, Lego set, and I could be doing whatever back here, and nobody would know. But you all know everything. I feel like I'm exposed. So... I don't have a lot of time for introduction tonight. I had a lot of things I'd like to say. I wanted to make this sermon be a little bit of an answer to a question I was asked by uh, one of the River Brethren girls that works for us and goes to market, and she heard something about this council meeting, and what in the world is a, is a council meeting? Why do you do that? And I remembered when I first came here that the whole council meeting concept was a little bizarre to me, and I wouldn't have been able to answer that question. And I want to think about it a little tonight. I imagine for most of you, it's never been a question. It's just how we do things. But um, coming from my background, the idea of confessing twice a year peace with God is a little out of order because of eternal security. So it's once and done. If I ever had peace with God, I always will. And it's really a non-issue. And then the issue of peace with my fellow man can be a little bit of a non-issue too because on the cross it was finished and Jesus paid it all and um, I have peace with God and that's about the end of it. And peace with my fellow man makes my life a little more pleasant, but it's not really relevant to my spiritual life. So, just give you a little bit of excuse for why I'm choosing such a simple topic to talk about at council meeting. The four um, affirmations we would make, peace with God, peace with my fellow man, wanting to be a supporting, upbuilding member of the church, and wanting to take part of communion. I'd started out thinking I would cover those four. I would really like to. And then I got into it and thought, well, I'll do well to cover one. I'll just get the other four when I get to them, but, or the other three. But I only get 
to preach this sermon every other year, and it was going to take eight years, and I'm not sure I have that long, so I'm settled on two. I would like to talk about our affirmations that we'll make this evening. The first two, peace with God and peace with fellow man. The word peace is one of the most frequently used in the Bible. 430 times in the King James Version, the word peace is used. 300 times in the Old Testament, 130 in the New Testament. A definition of peace from a secular dictionary starts out as the absence of strife, which is saying what peace is not. Peace is not strife. It's kind of a negative definition. It goes on to give positive definitions that were more helpful to me, and that is what peace is. Peace is a state of security and order in a community. I thought about that with our council meeting tonight. What are we affirming? Are we secure and ordered in our community? Is that even important? A secular dictionary says that's a definition of peace. Freedom from disquieting thoughts and emotions. Well, that hit a little close to home. I wondered as I come to council meeting, am I free from disquieting thoughts and emotions? Harmony in relationships. This last one kind of threw me off in a secular dictionary. The fifth definition for peace. A ceremonial handshake or kiss exchanged during a service in some churches, now usually only at communion, symbolizing Christian love and unity. I was kind of surprised to see that. Someone in the world decided that that was a significant part of the definition of peace. A kiss symbolizing Christian love and unity. But only in some churches and usually only at communion. Thankful we don't represent our love and unity only at communion. I want to talk a little bit about peace. Before I talk about peace with God, I want to talk about peace as God. That doesn't sound right. Peace as a central identifying characteristic of God. Peace as something bigger than an attribute of God, more a, uh, I should have written this out so I could say it properly. I'm going to retract my peace as God. I didn't like the sound of that at all. Peace as a significant identifying part of God's character. In Judges 6, don't have the time tonight, but it would be interesting to read the account of Gideon um, being called out of the wine press and building an altar and naming it Jehovah Shalom. And the fact that a name for God has attached to it Shalom, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. Isaiah 9, 6 the child born unto us is the prince of peace. Romans 15, the God of peace be with you. When we attach something to our name, it's a significant part of how we identify ourselves. Romans 16, the God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet. 1 Corinthians 14, God is the author of peace. 
He's the inventor, the originator. Peace exists because God exists. God is the author of peace. The God of peace will be with you, Philippians 4, the very God of peace. So the name God of peace is emphasized, it's emphatic, the very God of peace. to talk about God's peace and how he extends it to us as believers. In John 20, after the resurrection, I'm listening to a book that's called The Day That Changed Everything, and it's about the day of the resurrection. On or about shortly after that day, Jesus said in John 20, three times, almost back to back, just a few verses apart, to the same people, John 20, verse 19, 21, 26. Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you and peace be unto you. Three times. The invasion of this world with God's peace after the resurrection is kind of striking. John 16 answers a question if you had it. What was the purpose of Jesus' life, teaching, and ministry? That's kind of a big question. If an unbeliever asked you that, you'd realize this is important. I need to answer this right. What is the entire purpose of Jesus' life, ministry, and teaching? Foundational to our faith. John 16.33 says, Jesus says in that verse, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. I just continue to see there in all these verses the invasion of the God of peace into a world torn and racked by rebellion and turmoil, and that God is inserting his peace into our world. Peace be unto you. These things I've spoken to you that you might have peace. Acts 10, the word which God sent preaching peace by Jesus Christ through the blood of his cross. What was the theme of Jesus' message? I'm not sure that I would have said peace, but Acts 10 says, the word or the logos which God sent, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Romans 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. It pleased the Father that in him, that is Jesus, it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. And then he repeats himself here, Paul does for emphasis. By him I say, it pleased the Father that in Jesus all fullness should dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say. Maybe I'm going too far there to kind of distill the entirety of Jesus' life and teaching and ministry down to the invasion of God's peace into a rebellious world, but that would be a pretty simple answer to somebody say, 
Why did Jesus have to come? Why did he have to live? Why couldn't God have just zapped Jesus at 33 years old onto a cross, shed all his blood and paid the price for our sin? Somehow, that didn't accomplish the purpose of God's invading peace in our world. I'd like to talk just specifically a little bit about peace with God. Peace with God seems to me like kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling I have in my head, something that's in my heart. I express it to all of you kind of as a qualification to participate in communion. But when we look at it in the scriptures, the peace of God is visible and it shapes our lives. Peace with God. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Verse 78 and 79. Why did Jesus come? Still trying to connect this question to peace. It says in verse 78 of Luke chapter 1, through the tender mercy of our God, then, whereby the day spring, that is Jesus, from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Verse 78, the day spring on high visited us. Verse 79, to guide our feet into the way of peace. You know, the idea that the Christian life is a way, we're used to that kind of term. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Here, he's saying that the Christian life was not only a way, It's a way of peace. Jesus came to guide our feet into the way of peace. The day spring on high. Is God's peace only for the redeemed? Do the wicked profit at all from God's peace. They profit from his rain. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. There's two verses in Isaiah that read identically. Isaiah 57, 21 and Isaiah 48, 22 say the same thing. There is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. Again in 48, 22, there is no peace saith the Lord to the wicked. Have you ever thought about the peace of God and peace with God in terms of what it would be like if you didn't have it? I said at the beginning of the message that being away makes me appreciate what's here. Try to imagine your life without peace with God and the peace of God. The majority of the souls on this planet experience that every day. They don't know that there's a such thing as peace with God. And they certainly don't know the blessing of the peace of God. This idea of peace defining our Christian experience. Romans 3 speaks of the way of peace. Romans 10 speaks of the gospel of peace. Defining the Christian life and defining the gospel with one word. Peace. I wanted to leave a little time, and I see I 
managed to get that done, to uh, talk about what we're saying when we affirm peace with our fellow man. So moving on from God is peace and the peace of God and peace with God and peace invading this fallen world and peace is defining the Christian life and peace as the way and the gospel of peace, moving on to peace with fellow man. What's at stake? Do you have peace with your fellow man? I suppose if you can't confess that, you would sit back from communion. So we would say as of this week, communion's at stake. Is that all? Miss communion? Miss a few communions? How bad does that hurt? I'm sure it's not pleasant to anyone, but is that all that's at stake in peace with your fellow man? Is this twice a year that it comes up and it's an issue and we squirm a little, make a few things right and move on? Or don't make a few things right? Miss out on a little bread and juice. Let's talk about what we're affirming in peace with our fellow man. Romans 12 says, we being many are one body in Christ. One body. The, the intersection of unity and peace in a body. I'm reminded of something I said when preaching through Ephesians 2 that, that a body is a powerful testimony to its creator. It's a beautiful thing. But when it's dismembered, it's repulsive. And it's dysfunctional. A body can't function in pieces. We being many are one body in Christ. First Corinthians 7. God has called us to peace. That's kind of a big statement. What are we called to? God has called us to peace. Second Colossians 3.15 Let the God of peace rule in your hearts. God takes the name God of peace here again. And we're not commanded to make that happen somehow. All we're commanded to do is stop fighting it. It isn't an imperative, a command. It's a permissive. God, the God of peace, wants to rule in your hearts. Colossians 3.15 says we are to let him, just allow him. We don't have to pray for it. We just have to stop fighting it. Let the God of peace rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body. It's interesting that that verse doesn't let us off the hook with just individual peace. So let the God of peace rule in my hearts. That is addressing me. But it goes on and says, to the which you are called in one body. So here we have to address this issue of the God of peace, and am I, am I at peace with him, but also am I at peace with the body, because I'm called to peace in one body. Peace with fellow man. What's at stake? I hope you understood me to be um, not entirely serious to say about missing a little bread and a little juice. I'm sure we all understand that's kind of tongue-in-cheek. What's at stake apart from peace with our fellow man? Second Corinthians 13. Be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of peace shall be with you. That's kind of a comforting verse. Be of one mind, live in peace. So speaking to the body, we are many, we 
have one mind. We have the mind of Christ, according to Philippians 2. Be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of peace will be with you. Is it possible that the third statement there is conditional on the first two? Is this just purely a promise and a blessing to us? Or is it a little bit of a double-edged sword? Is there a warning in this verse? I don't want to say too much about that. Just I'm going to just leave it as a question. Be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of peace shall be with you. Is it safe to turn that around and say, be divisive, be at odds, be of multiple minds, don't live in peace, and the God of peace will not be with you? It makes sense to me that way as well, but it's not always safe to turn scripture around that way. Just leave that as a question. Peace with your fellow man, what's at stake? Turn back to Matthew 5. I don't know if we were there yet. I was there. I don't think you were. I just finished these uh, meetings. I told my wife it takes me a month after a meeting to get my head together and have my head stop buzzing about the last set of meetings, and I only had a week in between. So my head was still buzzing about a Bible school about Ephesians, and I got into a week of meetings about Sermon on the Mount. And so they're both kind of clanging around in my head. But the topic that came up in Ephesians that was really nagging at me was Ephesians 4, 3, where we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And the emphasis that the worthy walk starts with that. That's the foundation. None of the other worthy walks happen without keeping the unity of the spirit in the brotherhood and the bond of peace. And then in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 9 says that there's blessing promised for peacemakers. They can adopt the name children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called children of God. It doesn't say peacekeepers. For sure not peacebreakers. But peacemakers, people actively creating peace where there wasn't before, is a peacemaker. We go on down to verse 23 and verse 24. In Jesus' teaching on anger as murder, heart anger is murder, word anger is murder. So this issue of peace with our fellow man, in verse 23, says this, Matthew 5, Therefore, if thou bring their gift to the altar, and there rememberest, thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to their bro- your brother. Then come and offer thy gift. If your brother has aught against thee. You know, I've often thought in council meeting when I confess peace with my fellow man. That I have peace with my brothers and sisters satisfies me. But it doesn't seem to be what satisfies Jesus. He's asking... He tightens the noose a little and raises the bar a little and says, if your brother has anything against you, the word ought in Greek there is the word for zero. If your brother has nothing against you, he made it up. It's unjust. It's untrue. You don't deserve it. You're being treated wrongly. Your brother has that against you. It's nothing really. But if your brother has that nothing against you in verse 23, Leave your gift before the altar. 
we would be more prone to do that twice a year at communion. I think we do well to do that. But I don't see that communion is what's in context here. I think it's the entire Christian life. Romans 12 would tell us that our bodies, our entire Christian life, coming and going, the highways and byways of life, are to be a living sacrifice. They are a gift that we bring to the altar of God. Our bodies themselves are a living sacrifice. So what's it mean in verse 24? Leave your gift before the altar and go away. Go thy way kind of sounds mild and King Jamesy, but a lot of translations say go away. So it's the only time I think I find in the New Testament where God is telling a child of God to leave church. Get out. You have a brother who has an issue with you. Go, be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. I don't want to make too much of that, but is it possible that when we have strife and contention within the brotherhood, it's disqualifying? It's certainly disgraceful. God asks us to go make things right before we approach him. This idea of blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers and for sure not the peacebreakers. Psalm 34 has a phrase in it that says, this is under the old covenant, before the Sermon on the Mount. Seek peace and pursue it. Pursue it. Run after this peace. Chase this peace. In Exodus, the same Hebrew word is used when the Egyptians pursued the Israelites with chariots and horses up against and across the Red Sea. Seek peace and pursue it. I wonder for myself, am I doing that? Am I chasing and running after peace? Hebrews 12, closing scripture. Hebrews 12, verse 14 and 15. In closing, thinking about our affirmation of peace and the priority we put on it and the effort that we invest in peace with our fellow man. Hebrews 12, verse 14 and 15. Follow peace with all men. I'm going to stop there and say that that word follow is nine times out of ten in the New Testament translated persecute. Sometimes three times in one verse. It's actually saying persecute peace with all men. The word is implying a chasing, a running after, a single-minded dedication and commitment to peace. Chase peace, run after peace, persecute peace. Persecute in the sense of follow it and don't give up. Chase peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Ask the question, what's at stake with peace with our fellow man? Well, in eternal security, it's a whole lot simpler and a whole lot easier, and I'm not up here promoting eternal security. But when we set that aside and decide we're going to have scriptural glasses on, and speak of 
a conditional security. We see that without following peace with all men and holiness, no man shall see the Lord. I always read that to say if I wasn't holy, and probably in some kind of a legal, technical, uh, theological sense of holiness, I wouldn't see God, and I was okay with that. But I think we could read this as saying that to see the Lord, in verse 14, would require peace with all men and holiness. I don't think that's saying too much. What's at stake? Peace with our fellow man. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And then if we want to hang on any idea of eternal security, verse 15 makes that terribly difficult. This would have been one of the verses that I just kind of gnashed my teeth over when I was in the in the Baptist church. Looking diligently, be very careful about peace with all men because it could cause you to fail of the grace of God. And then it says a root of bitterness. So there's no perfect peace. We have some strife. We have a root of bitterness. If I have a problem with another brother and that root of bitterness is springing up and it defiles the brother and I, that's a tragedy. But that isn't what it says. It says, look diligently, be very careful about peace with all men, lest any man fail the grace of God. That I take to be loss of salvation. Maybe that's I'm making that too strong. Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and the brother you have a problem with. Is that what it says? No. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and many be defiled. How in the world does me having a problem with another brother defile many? Or is it, in some sense, disqualifying, disgracing the unity of the Spirit that's so precious to God he was willing to shed Jesus' blood to purchase it? What's at stake in peace with our fellow man? Romans 14, let us follow after the things that make for peace. It's that word persecute, pursue, chase, run. Let us run, pursue, chase, persecute, follow after the things that make for peace. Are we doing, am I doing that? Is peace that precious to me? Second Thessalonians 3. Now the God of peace himself give you peace always by all means. Let's stand for prayer.